Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our weekly ICEJ webinar. I'm David Parsons, your host and moderator today for uh, a program that's looking at the uh, upcoming Israeli elections. Next Tuesday, March 23rd, uh, Israel goes to the polls for actually the fourth time in just over two years. It's uh, almost like uh, we've come like Italy, changing governments all the time. I think uh, there's, uh, Israelis are going to uh, elections more often than the dentists these days. And um, how did we get here? Uh, we've been sort of stuck in this uh, um, political paralysis for, uh, uh, the third elections last March uh, uh, left us with, um, uh, it was a center-left uh, alignment of parties that came together around uh, Yair Lapid and three former uh, IDF chiefs of staff uh, led uh, by Benny Gantz to try and defeat Mr. Security, Benjamin Netanyahu, a real effort and added uh, sort of atmosphere in the nation that after so many years, more than a decade in office as prime minister now, it's time for Netanyahu to go. Uh, Gantz had promised not to get into a government with uh, Netanyahu, but uh, uh, I think he probably did the right thing, uh, the responsible thing because of the corona crisis at the time. He entered a rotation deal with Netanyahu, but that uh, government uh, collapsed uh, just in December a couple months ago after failing to reach a state budget. And Israel really hasn't had a state budget passed because of all these elections and very fragile governments in several years now. And we're seeing once again that Israel's traditional political fault line uh, has become largely irrelevant in these elections. The traditional security hawks versus doves, the pro-peace with the Palestinians, the left-right, conservative, liberal, peaceniks versus nationalists. It's really all about uh, BB or not BB. Uh, and even on the right, you have uh, quite a few voters in uh, New Hope and maybe some in y Yamina that are right-wing, conservative, hawkish, but they want a new prime minister. And to start out, uh, I'm going to share my screen and give the latest uh, polling information. And uh, we'll try and go full screen on that. The Israeli elections here in 2021. Uh, see if I have to move this again. The, uh, this is the latest polls using uh, the source is themadad.com, which they are uh, trying to be, I guess, like um, uh, the real clear politics in the US, which takes the average of the polls, all the different polls, they weight them as which have been more accurate, who, who has the better science involved in it. And uh, they're trying, there's an effort now because there's a lot of polls. The last polls uh, can only come out tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure our guest Gil Huffman of the Jerusalem Post, they'll have one out tomorrow. But right now, here's what the average of the polls is saying. Likud 31, Yeshatid, this is Yair Lapid again, center left, 21 seats. Uh, Likud, of course, is Prime Minister Netanyahu. Yamina on the right, 
a little to the right of uh, Likud at 12 seats. They have uh, are out polling a little bit. New Hope, Gideon Sa'ar, who's an offshoot from a breakaway from uh, Netanyahu and the Likud. Uh, Arab joint list at nine. The Shas and UTJ are at seven and eight. These are the ultra-Orthodox parties. Israel Batenu, the Russian Immigrant Party at seven. Labor, the founding party of Israel, is at six. The religious Zionists, some of these are like Kahanas and, and uh, others uh, on the far right. They're at five seats, blue and white. Benny Gantz's party at four. And according to this, uh, these weighted uh, average of polls, Merits on the far left and Ra'am, which is a sort of breakaway Arab Islamist party, are not quite making the threshold. I believe it's 3.25% of the vote you have to get, uh, enough for four seats minimum in order to enter the Knesset. They're not quite making it. We'll talk about it, but if, if they make it, these numbers change and it could make a big difference. And of course, the four main rivals right now, Benjamin Netanyahu, who served three years in the 90s and now 10 years as prime minister, Israel's longest serving prime minister. He's won five elections uh, and managed, I think, uh, you know, this, he's, uh, uh, has a, a real legacy in Israeli politics up there with Ben-Gurion. Uh, Yair Lapid of the center left, uh, Naftali Bennett of the right-wing uh, Yamina party, and Gideon Saar. These are the four that are polling the best right now, but the only real challenger to Bibi right now seems to be Yair Lapid. And uh, we first want to bring on uh, Gil Hoffman, who's the chief political correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. He's been a good friend of the Christian embassy for many years coming and not only giving us uh, incredible insights into Israeli politics and Israeli society, but doing it with a real sense of humor. We always appreciate having you, Gil. And uh, what can you tell us about the election on Tuesday? Uh, what's different about it this time? What's really uh, piqued your interest and how do you think it's going to turn out? You have to unmute there. David, thank you so much for having me and thank you to all the people who are here to this very special event. I'm coming to you live from the office of Benny Gantz, uh, our the alternate prime minister and defense minister. I came here to interview him and he uh, is giving me a room here. So none of the alcohol in back of me is mine. And if the polls are anything, he needs the alcohol. I'm glad he has it um, <laughs> because uh, he has no idea whether he's going to cross that menacing electoral threshold or not. And, and it, that's just one of many undecided factors here, which is made, it, what makes this election so exciting. You know, on the one hand, people can say, oh, they're just going to the polls again. It's the fourth time in two years. How boring. The foreign press isn't coming. Big stars come here. I've gotten interviewed every election by a lady named Becky Anderson. So a big lady on, on CNN. And there's a woman on the BBC named Lise Doucette who always comes. Um, they're not coming. Uh, the foreign press is coming less than ever. And you know what? Uh, I understand because... Uh, we are going to not only our, our fourth election, really our, our sixth election in two years, if you count our, our elections for mayor, 
and the runoff race we had. I, I have a four-year-old daughter who um, I'm very close with. She likes going with me to places and she's come with me to vote every time. And, and the last time that I took her to vote, she got sad. When we arrived, she said, Daddy, where's the boat? And he said, no, we're coming here to vote. And vote again? We always go to vote. When are you taking me on a vote? Um, poor four-year-old girl has now voted five times already. Uh, um, so I don't think I'm going to make her come this time. But I think that story underscores that, that what Israel is trying to do is proving Einstein's theory of insanity, of doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and, and expecting a different result. So, but this election actually is different than the other three, as you wanted to hear, David, and I'll tell you why. Uh, so one last thing about why they're all the same first, which is that every election we've had has been about the future of Benjamin Netanyahu. You know, our elections in Israel are Shakespearean. They're to be or not to be. So, but the, the two BBs and the not to BBs are what has changed. So we'll do the not to BBs first. Uh, so the, the first not to BB that's changed is that Netanyahu doesn't have his political bloc that he used to have. He used to be, he'd have uh, his Likud, the Russian immigrant Yisrael Beitinu, the religious Zionist under Naftali Bennett, and the ultra-Orthodox altogether. Well, now all he has is Likud and the ultra-Orthodox and, and that religious Zionist party that might not cross the threshold. Uh, he's lost Bennett. He's lost Lieberman. Uh, he, uh, half of his, uh, not half, but a, a large portion of his Likud left uh, joining Giron Sa'ar, um, who left the Likud. Um, and so that's different. He's going into an election with no cushion to rely on. And that makes it much harder for him to get to that magic number of 61 that he needs to be able to form a government. Uh, a second big change that's happened is that he can no longer campaign against Israeli Arabs as he has successfully. In past elections, he's painted them as some kind of fifth column. He's warned that they're going out to vote in droves and therefore have to, you have to bring out voter turnout uh, on the Likud side. Um, and uh, since then, uh, over recently, he's been cooperating with Israeli Arabs, uh, thinking that this is what's gonna bring him another couple seats in the Knesset. I'm not so sure. Um, if anything, he maybe was getting more from running against them than running with them. And uh, so not having them is something that puts him at a disadvantage that he didn't have before. A third thing that's changed is that his trial has started. Uh, there are people who think that I personally don't because any Israeli already has had an opinion on whether Netanyahu is innocent or guilty before the trial has begun. Um, the people who think that the trial is frivolous and a witch hunt uh, and out to get us as uh, sounding similar to what we've heard. Um, they are sure that they, uh, uh, they're going to vote for him anyway. And the people who think that Netanyahu is corrupt, even though he's innocent until proven guilty, are not going to vote for him no matter what. But still, unlike past elections when Netanyahu is being questioned or they're going to be um, uh, indicted. Um, now he's actually on trial. Okay, so that is a, another not to be beat, at least in theory. Now that leaves us with the biggest not to be beat, uh, which is that Donald Trump's not there. 
the last three elections, the Prime Minister of Israel called the President of the United States and requested a, a pre-election gift that would help him win, uh, like recognizing the Golan Heights as part of Israel, and he'd get it. Well, he can't call Joe Biden and request such a thing. Joe Biden is purposely staying out of this election, and there's those who say that by staying out of the election, interfering in Israeli politics, because if he had admitted what his plans are for the Palestinians, and there was some report in Reuters overnight that starts giving it away, how much he wants to help them, how much pressure he'll put on Israel to help them, uh, it would help Netanyahu a lot in this election. Um, and so Netanyahu is trying to have some other last-minute game-changer. So he's tried to go to Dubai. That didn't work out. They didn't want to interfere in Israeli elections. He tried to bring in Albert Berla, the, the head of Pfizer, on a visit to Israel to talk about how great Israel is and how great Netanyahu is. He refused to play that game. Uh, he gave Israel uh, lots of uh, vaccines, but he won't give Netanyahu an electoral gift. Netanyahu tried to bring back the bones of Eli Cohen, uh, who spied for Israel in Syria in the 60s. It would have been a really nice positive headline. Still four days. Uh, Putin's helping, but uh, it doesn't look like it's happening. So these are not to be beasts. These are things that have changed, that Netanyahu had advantages before that he does not have now. Now, there are also two BBs that there weren't before. We have a peace with four countries, with Morocco, with Sudan, with Bahrain, and with the United Arab Emirates. I went to Dubai. It's awesome. I liked it a lot. You know, I'm from Chicago. I like tall buildings. Um, and uh, it's very special that we could go there. We were welcomed very nicely over there, uh, unlike London and Paris and other scary places out there to be Jews. Um, and uh, so that was a great thing that he delivered, and it's, it's all him. He deserves the credit. And, the, of course, the vaccines. Uh, we would not be the vaccination nation without the prime minister calling Albert Berla 30 times, including at 3 o'clock in the morning, as Berla said. So uh, that's something that I'm sure a lot of Israelis would give him credit for. We, we like having a world leader who's uh, above and beyond. And the other thing that he has, which, I mean, isn't a change, is that he's by far the most experienced leader, and Israelis really value experience. Um, he is, uh, there's no one who can compete with him in experience, except if Moses or, or Jesus comes here uh, and interferes in our election. Um, so, uh, and uh, Moses, like Netanyahu, is uh, from the tribe of, uh, of Levi. Uh, he's a Levite. So, um, thou, those are things that Netanyahu has going in his favor uh, that he did not have before. Uh, will that be enough to carry him to victory? Um, nobody knows. And you know what? We're not going to know for a very long time. Um, with all due respect to that 10 p.m. exit poll that we're going to have on Tuesday night, and then the actual vote counting of the regular ballots that we're going to have by Wednesday, uh, and then the counting of uh, what are called double ballots of, of uh, diplomats, and uh, COVID patients who have special voting booths and uh, a polling station that they're opening up at the airport um, and IDF soldiers. Uh, we're only gonna have results on Friday. You know what, even then we won't have results. After that, there's gonna be a process of trying to build a government overseen by the president of Israel that can take another several months. He'll give one candidate a chance to form a government, might not succeed, another gov 
candidate a chance to form a government might not succeed. And uh, then there would be a chance for another candidate to form a government with the support of a majority of the Knesset. That's how Netanyahu got the chance to form a government a year ago. And we don't know yet. Uh, we could have all three not succeed. And then that would force us to go to yet another election that would take place in September or October and uh, would just keep the political correspondent, the Jerusalem Post, working nonstop. And luckily, I see my four-year-old when I take her to vote. <laughs> uh, but uh, one day, this is going to have to end the insanity. And, and then we're going to really enjoy that boat ride. <clears throat> We thank you, uh, Gil. I've got uh, lots of questions to get more information out of you, but that's very good. And uh, it just uh, on that shelf up behind you there, is there any pink champagne? <laughs> <laughs> I think that I'd have to do that from Netanyahu's office to get that. Yeah. <laughs> Might be some gifts from Packer up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, we really appreciate that. We're gonna come back to you with some questions in just a few moments, but we're gonna also let uh, Chris Mitchell, who is the uh, Bureau Chief in Jerusalem for CBN News. He's been here 20 years, over 20 years now, covering Israel and the Middle East. And Chris, that's a lot of Israeli elections to also cover. And what's new about this one for you? What's interesting? Uh, please jump in here. Yeah, well, first of all, that's a great, <clears throat> great analysis, uh, Gil, with uh, of what's going to happen and uh, to Bibi or not to be. Bibi, I like that Shakespearean line. Uh, I would add just a few things uh, to that analysis. Uh, you know, as Bibi uh, campaigns, I guess he's running on three things. Vaccinator in chief, for one. Uh, he was the one that uh, brought peace to the uh, Arab nations with the Abraham Accords and also the experience. And I think the experience cuts both ways in terms of the U.S. And uh, certainly he's not getting the kind of gifts that he did with President Donald Trump. On the other hand, uh, he does have experience with uh, President Biden. Uh, they've known each other for many, many years. And, uh, and perhaps Israelis are going to be the ones that look at uh, President, I mean, Prime Minister Netanyahu as at least somebody who has, uh, is a known entity and has dealt with the U.S., uh, for many, many years. So that could uh, <clears throat> act in his favor. And as the Biden administration, uh, you know, continues to pursue uh, negotiations with Iran over their nuclear deal, as it continues to sort of push away some of the Gulf Arab nations like Saudi Arabia, and as it, uh, you know, seems to reverse all the um, policies that the Trump administration had in, in regards to the Palestinian Authority, uh, that actually seem, might seem to uh, benefit uh, Netanyahu in the last few days. Uh, the other thing that really strikes me, and I had a conversation earlier today with an Israeli friend of mine, and I was asking him if he's decided on who to vote for. And he said, no. And I says, well, when do you think you'll, you'll uh, <clears throat> decide to vote? And he says, well, maybe in the voting booth, uh, he'll decide. And I know there's a poll recently that came out that 43% of Israelis uh, will decide the day of or the day before. And that's such a huge number, uh, you know, going into a national election. And it really makes any predictions uh, extremely hard. In fact, uh, and then when you uh, reference that, uh, Gil, uh, we won't know the results for that day or several days or maybe a few weeks, um, you know, putting together a coalition 
Uh, it's uh, like a chess game and sort of like a puzzle, but even more so like a Rubik's Cube, uh, trying to put a coalition together. Um, if the polls, as you cited earlier, David, I did some quick math to add up, uh, you know, Likud, Yamina, uh, <clears throat> Shas, and uh, some of those other parties that will likely join a right-wing coalition. Right now it's at 63. That's pretty uh, optimistic, but that really does depend on Yamina trying to uh, join. But I, I, I can't see any scenario where, where Bennett will try to uh, form or go back with Gidon Sari, uh, Yair Lapid. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. Uh, but, uh, but at least according to that poll, it looked pretty good for Netanyahu, uh, but we'll see. So, but so many unvariables, uh, as you mentioned, Gil, uh, now Netanyahu is courting the Arabs as opposed to, uh, sort of demonizing them just a few days before the, uh, the election. Uh, that's one thing. And then who gets into the, uh, passes the threshold, uh, you know, in that, uh, poll you had two didn't make it, uh, David, but there's as many, you know, blue and white, will they make it? Uh, it remains to be seen, and that's going to change the whole, uh, you know, mathematic uh, equation about who's can put together a coalition. So, so many uncertainties uh, and variables going into the next few days. It will give you a lot to write on, Gil, and uh, we'll have a lot to report on as well. Uh, but uh, certainly, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, both Jews and Christians, are going to be praying for a, uh, some sort of a stable government, uh, despite the political uh, machinations and, and uh, gridlock here, uh, the Middle East continues to go on. Iran continues to get uh, uh, bolder and uh, <clears throat> more um, pressing, the, pressing the envelope, as it were. So Israel really does need some stability uh, to face its enemies uh, in, a, in a volatile Middle East, not to say an administration that's not nearly as friendly uh, as the as the former administration. So a lot to be concerned about and uh, a lot to be praying for too. Thank you, Chris. You you uh, you bring up a good point in doing the math here. And uh, Gil, you got to help us understand this. That if you took say traditional right of center voters from Likud, from Yamina, even from Gidon Sa'ar. Most of those are former Likud or centrist right voters uh, in his uh, New Hope party, the ultra-Orthodox party, Shasa UTJ, the religious parties, uh, and even Israel Batenu, which tend to be hawkish conservative Russian immigrants. You actually have almost uh, 75 to 80 seats, but some of them are insisting we will not sit with Bibi, like, uh, uh, um, uh, get on Sa'ar and Lieberman, who used to be close to him, and now they got uh, uh, disaffected with him. And I mean, what is it? What is their main complaint against Netanyahu? Is it the corruption, uh, just too long in office, his personality, uh, this sense of privilege among his family? What is it that they're they're rejecting? There we go. I'm there sitting here in, in, in Benny Gantz's office, and I think that's more. There's no more symbolic place to understand the frustration with Netanyahu. Netanyahu signed a coalition agreement with Benny Gantz uh, that said that he would relinquish the title of prime minister to Gantz on the 17th of November 2021. 
and the only loophole out of it was not passing a state budget. So he didn't pass a state budget and brought Israel to waste another 150 billion shekels having this ridiculous election that no one wanted just in order to uh, stay in power. And so the feeling is among all those opponents of Netanyahu that he keeps on taking decisions, making decisions like these that might help him personally, might help his criminal trial, but are obviously harmful to the state of Israel. We obviously need a state budget uh, and uh, should not be wasting this money when we're spending so much unexpected money on vaccines. Um, and uh, so they think that that has been happening more and more and more, that uh, Israel has become very much a fiefdom of one person or one family, um, and uh, that that can't be allowed to go on anymore, that we need to go back to having more kind of professional leadership, less political leadership, less personal leadership. And uh, so that's what a majority of the, mem of the candidates in, in that poll want. The majority of the candidates in that poll want Netanyahu defeated. But a majority of the candidates in that poll are right wing. So th that's our recipe for a continued political stalemate. And as long as you have a majority of both that don't intertwine enough, that's why we could keep on doing this forever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as long as Netanyahu is there, look, whether people like Donald Trump or not, um, the one word that everybody in America could agree on with Donald Trump is the word divisive. And, and w not having a divisive president of the United States, if that's possible in America, would make things more stable. Here, not having a divisive prime minister of Israel would make things more stable. Uh, whoever would replace him in Likud would form a coalition very, very easily. Yeah, but that's going to be hard for some other figure to truly unite the, the country. Um, it, but it does seem like the, the pendulum here is still swinging to the right with most of the voters right of center. But uh, this has left Bennett as the, you know, you're always looking for the kingmaker, who's the guy who can really decide who's going to be prime minister. He has not committed one way or another, as far as I understand, uh, Naftali Bennett of Yamina has not uh, ruled out sitting in a government with Bibi. And he could, you know, his problem, I think, might be that it would also include some of the Kahanas, some people who are seen as, as racist or whatever. Look, someone's got to be lying, David. Uh, it, someone's got to break a promise. And again, here I'm in Gans's office. You know, he three times said he would not sit with Netanyahu. In the end, for the good of the country, he did. And so it could be Bennett who's lying about not sitting with the extreme right or not, and not sitting with the extreme left, uh, meaning with Meretz uh, and with uh, Mansour Abbas's party, uh, that uh, Muslim Arab party. Um, he says he won't sit with either of them. Well, he might need either of them in order to enable a coalition to be formed without Netanyahu. Um, and then on the other side, um, it could be that Mansour Abbas, who wants to cooperate with the right, would be needed for Netanyahu to form a coalition. But the religious Zionist party over there says, under no circumstances mm. would they be willing to sit with him. So then that's when they start talking about defectors, that each side will try to get defectors within each party. Well, that, that's not gonna happen the first time someone tries to form a government. When there's a second chance and a third chance, that's the kind of thing that happens at the last minute to try to avoid an election from happening. So there, there's so many factors that could change over the next few months. And that's why uh, people should be tuning into jpost.com every day to follow all the excitement. Yeah, uh, I want to talk about the Arab sector vote a little more in a minute. But uh, 
Um, the, um, I want to go to Chris with a question. Um, and, and first, though, when you talk about defectors, Gil, you're talking about the election is held. You know who is getting into the Knesset, the members of the Knesset, but then a few guys who got elected, say, in Yamina or New Hope, go back to Likud, switch parties, which they can do, and put uh, BB over the threshold. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, which there's a possibility of it. Chris, uh, the the whole uh, Abraham Accord seemed like one of the real, you know, one of the lasting legacies of Netanyahu here in, in uh, recent years that would have a lasting impact for him. But something about the relationship with the United Arab Emirates, there's been a bit of a debacle here. Can you uh, let our, our viewers know a little what's happened there, the Jordanian involvement? And, and does it show that the Abraham Accords are, are really fragile? Well, yeah, there was a bit of a kerfuffle uh, just a few days ago. You know, Benjamin Netanyahu wanted to go to the UAE and, uh, and meet with the crown prince there, uh, Jordan. Uh, decided not to allow them uh, to fly over Jordanian airspace, which, uh, which uh, upset, uh, I'm sure, that maybe Netanyahu. Would have been a prize for him to be able to meet with the crown prince. And uh, maybe they were a bit upset <clears throat> that the fact that they uh, wanted to use that sort of uh, state visit uh, in his uh, campaign just a few days before the, uh, the election. So, yeah, it is somewhat fragile. Uh, maybe this is uh, the first sort of uh, <clears throat> setback uh, in, uh, since the last several months, back in September, when they signed them on the White House lawn. Uh, but I think that can be expected in these kind of uh, relations. I think what's holding them together is probably stronger than uh, these, these, uh, what's happened in the last few days with the UAE and Jordan. I think uh, the fact that they also face a common enemy with Iran, I think is probably the uh, strongest thing that brings them together, as well as the trade and tourism that they all look forward to. And uh, as Gil said, he went down to, uh, to visit there and it was a wonderful experience. I think a lot of Israelis just, as soon as the doors were opened, uh, flooded down there uh, to the Gulf states. And uh, I think that will continue. But uh, in the meantime, this was, uh, was sort of a minor setback, but I don't think it's uh, too, too serious uh, to break what I think will be, um, seems to be, uh, you know, a long-term relationship in light of the current geopolitics in the region. Yeah, and Gil was talking about, you know, it is one of the two BB points that, you know, he does have this diplomatic, uh, uh, you know, victories of, of securing these deals. And he says there's some other countries in line. He said four countries. Any idea who that might be? Who uh, Other Arab or Muslim majority countries who may join the Abraham Accord? Well, certainly that would be uh, Saudi Arabia would be the number one. I think that everybody's looking at the possibility. Oman, uh, Netanyahu has already uh, visited them and, uh, and a couple more. But I think uh, you'd have to really put your eyes on Saudi Arabia as the number one. And you see the Biden administration is really seeming to put uh, uh, a bit of a distance between Saudi Arabia and the United States right now. And, uh, and I, I think that might cut both ways in terms of Saudi Arabia wanting to uh, get closer to Israel. We were down there um, before the Abraham Accords had, uh, had been <clears throat> signed, uh, both in the UAE and, uh, and then in Saudi Arabia. And I think there's a sort of an impetus that uh, they need to shore up their uh, alliances 
and this sort of uh, behind the scenes defense uh, pact. Uh, we were there actually when uh, Saudi Arabia got attacked back in September of 2019, their largest oil refinery facility attacked by, uh, by Iranian drones and missiles. And so I think they remember that. And as well, you see that uh, Yemen seems to be emboldened and uh, hitting Saudi Arabia more with uh, missiles. And so I think uh, all of those things, I think, bold uh, <clears throat> lead probably to, uh, to closer relationships. And who knows, maybe there'll be uh, normalized relations with, uh, with Saudi Arabia uh, and, uh, and Israel as part of these uh, ongoing Abraham Accords. Uh, Gil, any, any comments on uh, uh, that diplomatic uh, scorecard for Netanyahu? Is the, uh, seems like a positive, but it's gotten shaken in the last few days. I think the Jordanians were uh, didn't allow Netanyahu's plane to go through Jordanian airspace on the way to the United Arab Emirates because the Crown Prince of Jordan wanted to come here and, and Israel felt he, he had too many security guys with him or something. Okay, so there's this myth uh, that diplomatic issues are what Israelis vote on and that, that Netanyahu going to Congress and, and delivering a speech about Iran, uh, he did to help himself politically because it was right before an Israeli election. Uh, I'm going to give him credit and say that he did that to help the country and uh, to try unsuccessfully to stop the Iran deal and point out that he did not gain a single seat or lose a single seat from that speech, nor would he from a diplomatic success now or a diplomatic failure now, because Israelis know what you're getting. It's like ordering the, the same McDonald's hamburger. You know, it's not going to change. It's been the same for a long time. We know that that's what he does well. And if, you, if that's really important to you, then you're going to vote for him. And if it's not really important to you, then you're not going to care. So that's not a game changer. Um, and uh, Netanyahu, that's great. He's in, as his previous election slogan said, a league of their own, uh, compared to this, and the current slogan, uh, one leader, a lot of politicians around. But what has changed? What has changed is the American election. If you don't have Donald Trump as president of the United States anymore, maybe you don't need a Netanyahu. Donald Trump viewed Netanyahu as a mentor. He learned a lot from him on Iran and other issues. Joe Biden's famous quote about Netanyahu is, I love you, Bibi, but I don't agree with anything you say. Um, with a swear word in there or two, maybe, I think. Uh, so um, I won't say in, the, in an international fellowship of Christians and Jews webcast. So... Um, well, I'm sure another leader he could fall in love with, another leader of Israel, the president of the United States, could, could love and maybe agree with a little more. Yeah. Um, and on the, the Arab voting bloc, I think it's very interesting, Gil, that uh, there are around 20% uh, of the population, maybe they don't vote as, 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 as many uh, but it's around 15 to 20 percent of the Knesset could be filled uh, by Arab votes. And the joint list getting nine, 10 seats right now, they've said we won't uh, recommend Bibi as prime minister. We wouldn't sit with him. But if he gave us certain stuff, we, you know, we'd be OK with it. 
But last election, it was the first time that they recommended a prime minister, they recommended Gantz, which was a new sort of breaking a, a taboo there. Uh, is the next step joining a coalition government at some level? I mean, UTJ on the right, ultra-Orthodox Party, they don't want to be responsible for government decisions, so they always supported the coalition from the outside and got nice Knesset committee chairmanships. What uh, what do could you foresee as far as the Arab an Arab component in a coalition government? So just first of all, in parliament seats, that there will probably be less. Uh, we had a record number of non-Jews in the previous parliament. Somebody in the in the uh, um, chat asked a question about Christians. You have two Christians uh, from the uh, joint Arab list in, in the previous parliament uh, to the point that when they disbanded the Knesset to go to the first election. It, um, that happened on December 24th. And uh, that day, the Knesset speaker, Yuli Edelstein, uh, he announced anyway, before he knew that Netanyahu would do that, that we would finish the parliament early on December 24th in honor of Christmas, not realizing that all the Christians in the Knesset were Orthodox and therefore celebrate Christmas on the 7th of January. So the only person who was going to be benefiting from this decision was gonna be me because I celebrate my American Jewish heritage by going to a movie and eating Chinese food uh, on that night. Um, and uh, so the number of, of Arabs is expected to go down uh, from the, you had 17 in the outgoing Knesset, probably have more like uh, 14, 13 this time. Um, and uh, then in the government, what you're really asking about, uh, Mansour Abbas is a fascinating person. If his uh, United Arab List Party crosses that electoral threshold, he's someone who believes in cooperating with any Israeli government, no matter where they are, whether it would be as a cabinet minister or supporting it from outside, in order to improve the infrastructure uh, of the Arab sector in Israel. Uh, Arab towns look less good than Jewish towns. It's not because of racism. It's due to politics. It's due to them never joining a government in Israel because they said the power completed first. Well, now if Arab countries are making peace with Israel, then Israeli Arabs can make peace with Israel. And that's something that Mansour Abbas understands and his former colleagues in the joint list don't. So uh, they could hold the key. Uh, they could be the kingmakers uh, and uh, someone, uh, no matter how right wing they are uh, in the Israeli government might have to get used to it because it's definitely preferable to cooperate with them than it would be to go to another election. Yeah, I think the drawback for most Israeli Jews is the whole security issue. If they're in the government, they get access to uh, state secrets and such. And, and, you know, that's one of the, the reservations they've had. But, uh, Gil, I saw it was interesting that in some of these polls of who would you like to be prime minister, just that, that one issue, there, there was a third of the Arab voters who said they preferred Bibi as, the, as prime minister. It was quite interesting. Better the devil you know, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, uh, we've got um, uh, Netanyahu gaining ground in some of the polls this week. The, as I said earlier, the, the last polls will come out tomorrow. Uh, under Israeli law, there cannot be any more between uh, Friday and next Tuesday. Uh, but in the last couple of days, Bibi's gained a couple seats, Likud has, 
and some are attributing it to the effectiveness of this vaccination campaign in this sense that Israel's getting back to normal ahead of all other countries. And how do you see how Israel's handled Corona? And is that going to be a last minute asset for BB to help maybe show he has the momentum and maybe it'll convince Bennett to form a government with it? Yeah, that could be. I, I remember asking a, a, another political analyst a few months ago, I said, what about What's uh, BB running on? And he said, well, the only thing he's running on at that time was the vaccination campaign. And uh, it really does seem to be uh, all, he's just gone all in on the vaccinations uh, and now well over 5 million that are vaccinated. And uh, I, I guess the goal a couple of months ago was to be able to reopen Israel by Passover. And uh, that looks to be uh, like they're gonna meet that goal. Uh, I think it's a mixed, uh, <clears throat> Legacy, I think that he has. Uh, he not only has the vaccination campaign, which most of Israelis are for. There are, is a minority that are against the vaccinations, and also against the uh, this whole idea of a green passport for those that have a clear have a conscientious conscientious objection to maybe the vaccination, but they have to. Uh, they're sort of a, a medical apartheid, as some people have called it. They can't go to certain places may not be able to go to their jobs. So that's one issue. The other issue is uh, the lockdowns, uh, Israel being the, the nation in all the world that probably has more been locked down more than any other since the uh, beginning of the pandemic. Uh, many businesses uh, uh, have closed, never to reopen. Uh, right around the corner from our bureau, there's a restaurant that we used to love to frequent. Uh, that's not open and I'm sure there's many other businesses. So I think uh, it's a mixed legacy and I think uh, uh, Netanyahu will certainly get some support for those that believe that uh, he's done an amazing job about getting uh, <clears throat> Israel vaccinated and, and on the verge of reopening uh, internally as well as to the world. But also I think uh, there is a mixed, uh, <clears throat> some people object to the way the lockdowns that seem to be so draconian uh, to some and, uh, and leaves a legacy of many businesses that may not ever reopen. Uh, so. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's uh, probably helped him uh, more than not, I think, the vaccination campaign uh, here in Israel. Gil, any, any late, last-minute breaking momentum that could really tip this one way or the other? Because right now, it, it just looks so uh, close uh, that Bibi could make it or he couldn't. Well, let's take you back to 2015. Uh, at this point in 2015, Netanyahu was losing. The polls were showing that Isaac Herzog had passed him up his Zionist Union party that he had formed at Sippy Livni. And what happened uh, between Friday and Tuesday? Well, already the, the following night, Saturday night, uh, both uh, Netanyahu and Herzog were interviewed by the Meet the Press television show that we have here. And uh, Herzog said something stupid. He said uh, that he would not keep Jerusalem united, but he would keep Netanyahu united. And uh, he was interviewed looking very small in the studio while Netanyahu was interviewed very large in the video above his head. And uh, that made uh, a big change that happened in the last three days while polls were illegal to be printed, not taken. Um, and, and so this Saturday night, Meet the Press and its rival show on the other channel are all having all the party leaders. Uh, all that has to happen is one of them to not stay on message and. Um, and we also have the polls that are running in tomorrow's paper. I just got a message uh, from uh, the pollster. No, we're not getting it early tonight. Are you kidding? <laughs> it would have been nice. 
Um, so uh, polls also have an impact on how people vote. They, they dictate reality, not only reflect reality. Uh, Gil, on the uh, corona vaccine um, issue, uh, it seems that, uh, you know, for a lot of Christians, especially those who are going to be watching today, they know there's a lot of concerns and reservations about these vaccines, especially these RNA messenger vaccines. We covered that in last week's webinar, very interesting discussion with one of uh, Israel's uh, top doctors. But it, I, I think people should know, uh, and, and can you confirm, it just seems like the whole political spectrum has been pro-vaccine, and it's almost like you're trying to be more pro-vaccine than the next guy, so that no one, if there was a problem with these Moderna vaccines here, someone would have grabbed hold of it to try and undermine Netanyahu, but it hasn't happened. Any one of the parties could have adopted an anti-vaccine agenda. Israel, they think you know, Lieberman came the closest to it, and all their polls told them not to touch that uh, third wire, whatever what is the phrase. Um, and uh, that's because everyone here has put their faith in those vaccines and pledged their allegiance to them. Um, a smart argument that could have that weren't there corrupt deals made between Netanyahu and these pharmaceutical companies without really bringing it to proper voting and certainly proper transparency of what was in the agreement. Aren't they experimenting with us and making us guinea pigs for the entire world in order to have enough data for FDA approval? I've heard all these things, but they're not coming from politicians. They'd be stupid to make these arguments. I think that's interesting to remember uh, going forward that the political, uh, uh, the whole gamut of the political spectrum here has embraced the vac vaccination program, even though there are some activists out there. I don't want to dismiss them as anti-vaxxers, but people who have legitimate concerns because there weren't long-term testing on, on these. But uh, uh, Chris Mitchell, we're going to start wrapping up here. What is your, uh, what do you think are some of the lessons of four elections now? I think one of them for me is that you, you really don't need a, an Israeli government. But uh, how would you describe Israeli democracy right now? Some say it's being destroyed by BB. Do you really feel that or is it as robust as ever? Well, I don't know about robust. It seems to be limping along. And uh, just to add on to that uh, vaccination story, we did uh, ask Nathalie Bennett about that, and he uh, pretty much said, just, just go ahead and get vaccinated, trust the science. So I think, as you say, across the political spectrum, uh, the vaccination uh, <clears throat> issue was really uh, supported by, by uh, the political spectrum. Um, democracy, I, I think that uh, Israel is still a vibrant democracy, despite uh, the last couple of years. And uh, I think it will survive this election and even a fifth one if it goes there. Uh, I was just asked a question uh, on the 700 Club by Pat Robertson about the, uh, the fact that uh, what about Iran in the midst of this political um, sort of paralysis? Will uh, Israel be able to stand up against Iran if it needs to? And my answer would be yes, uh, despite all the political gridlock, I think uh, militarily, and security-wise, uh, Israel is able to take care of itself and, uh, and will endure and will continue. Uh, but right now, with the um, <clears throat> unusual political landscape, and when you have a right-wing country 
but you have right-wing parties that refuse to sit with each other, uh, you know, makes it uh, very difficult. Uh, some of that is personal and some of that is political and uh, that, and when, when you combine the coronavirus on top of the political uh, landscape, that just complicates things even more. And uh, so uh, in spite of all this though, I, I think uh, Israel will continue and endure its democracy. Uh, maybe there'll be some electoral reforms uh, out of this. I'm not sure about that. I know that's been talked about for a long time, but I'm, I'm not sure that's gonna happen uh, right away, uh, but we'll see. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see for the next few days what's gonna happen and then in the next few weeks, but certainly we'll have a lot to talk about, a lot to report on. And uh, for all of our audience, I'm sure they're interested in a lot uh, to pray about. Okay, Gil, uh, are, what, what are the lessons of, of these uh, repeat elections? What, what can Israel do to get out of this uh, cycle? Um, there are parties that have electoral reform agendas. Uh, several parties are in favor of uh, term limits for prime minister. Um, and Netanyahu himself was in favor of term limits for prime minister. He spoke about it on video. It's there from before he became prime minister the first time, said two terms was enough. Well, may, is it? Um, uh, Gidon Sar, uh, his party has a very extensive electoral reform uh, platform of electing half the contested by direct regional elections. Mm -hmm. um, then there is the more controversial change that can be made, which is to bar someone under indictment from forming a government. Now, that violates the principle of innocence until proven guilty. Indicted means innocent. It means question. It does not mean you've been charged with, I mean, convicted of anything, right? So, uh, but uh, both Bennett and Saar have said that they would not support making that change for this election. But if we're going to go to a fifth election, they're going to bring him down. They're, they're going to pass this bill and prevent him from running again. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what would change everything. Mm -hmm. So he's, uh, Netanyahu has sought some sort of immunity protection. And right now that's out of the, out of the question uh, based on the polls and the positions of the parties now. Uh, immunity is up? Yeah. Uh, uh, give it, punishing him uh, with uh, before within the question. <laughs> okay, we're going to ask you to, uh, based on all your many years of experience at the following Israeli politics, your prediction uh, is, it, is it, let, let, let me put it this way, do you think we'll get a stable government out of this election or will there be a fifth, will there be a rotation, anything you can uh, offer us there? No, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the Cubs are going to win the World Series with God's help, David. You know, that's, <laughs> that, that's my prediction. I, I'm not going to make any predictions here. I just wrote 1,500 words this morning about how this is the most unpredictable election in Israel's history. I, that we believe in Judaism, that, that uh, prophets and fools are the only people who can make predictions. Well, I'm neither. <laughs> Chris, uh, are you going to take a, take a guess here? Well, I, I was going to say the, the phrase that came to mind was be a fool's errand trying to uh, <clears throat> predict this. Like uh, Gil said, there's, as he said, probably the most unpredictable election uh, in Israel's history, certainly in my <clears throat> time here in Israel. Um, if I would make a guess, I would say perhaps a narrow right-wing government if the polls fall the way uh, you had at the beginning. 
but too many variables to, to you know, uh, bet on that. It's uh, with the threshold, with the undecided voters. Uh, but I, I would say it's probably most likely that Netanyahu will have the chance to form that government. I can't see um, on the left uh, that happening. And uh, it would have to be uh, Yamina and Naftali Bennett uh, joining a, uh, a right-wing narrow coalition. But uh, if I had to say anything, I would lean that way. I wouldn't say it's going to happen, but that would be my leaning. Yeah, I tend to go that way too, and I think it all hinges so that uh, people are viewing that when you look at the results, the, the polls will close at 10 o'clock Israel time next Tuesday evening, and they'll immediately come out with uh, the television stations with their, uh, their straw poll results taken at the polling stations, but they always change overnight as the official results come but it's going to depend on how some of the smaller parties who are near the threshold to make the Knesset a political party has to win at least 3.25% of the raw vote, which is around enough for four seats. And you've got- uh, 150,000 votes. Uh, 150,000. So uh, it's blue and white. Uh, uh, merits on the far left, blue and white in the center, Ra'am, an Islamist uh, Arab party, and the religious Zionists uh, over on the right, some of the Kahanists, that if, uh, if Merits and Ra'am wouldn't make it, you'd have a lot more, uh, you know, some of these are very close, and that's going to have a big impact. What happens if they do not make it, those three or four seats have to be redistributed among the other parties. Some of these parties have, no, they have vote, vote sharing agreements that you redistribute it in, in oh. the way the calculations are made, right? Those votes get thrown away. They get thrown away, but, oh, but if, you're, if you're doing polls now, you, you would have to adjust the final results. There's to also say, vote sharing agreements parties and there's a whole thing called butter over that automatically gives more seats to the top two parties which means yeah. both Likud and Yeshatid are getting more than they say in the polls right now it's yeah. really complicated yes yeah but the I think in several of the elections here in the last 10 years or so that Netanyahu has won he has that had that little boost at the end that got him to where even with uh you mentioned uh zippy livney and and he outmaneuvered her so that blocked her from forming a government she got the first crack and then he was able to form it but he's not got that sort of uh, uh political card up his sleeve right now with lieberman and Gideon Sa'ar and perhaps Bennett refusing to sit with him. But we'll, we'll have to see. I think Bennett is uh, going to be in the driver's seat about where this government goes. And it may depend on how things, the, the momentum shift, even slight over the next couple of days. We do ask everyone to be praying for Israel, pray for the electorate, uh, for the, the uh, Israeli electorate, that they'll make wise decisions, that there will be a stable government. Uh, and uh, Baruch Hashem, that God's will would be done here. God's watching over this nation. We want to thank Gil Hoffman, the chief uh, political correspondent at the Jerusalem Post. Thank you, Gil. You're welcome. Hi, hi to uh, Mr. Gantz for us. Uh, thank you, Chris Mitchell, the Jerusalem Bureau Chief for CBN News. Thank you, Chris. Great to be with you, David. Thank you.
Okay. And just want to remind everyone, uh, next week we will have uh, our global prayer gathering on Wednesday at four o'clock as usual. Then next Thursday at the same time, four o'clock, uh, our ICEJ weekly webinar will feature a Passover teaching, Passover and the Cross. Uh, with Passover, uh, Easter, Resurrection Sunday season coming up, we'll have Malcolm Heading, the former executive director of the Christian Embassy, former, uh, he's still a, uh, on our board of trustees, and uh, he'll be bringing us a good Bible teaching on the connection between Passover and, uh, and uh, the ministry of Jesus. And uh, then uh, we also have a special video series coming up that uh, uh, over Passover Easter season, it's called the Passion Week, uh, five uh, programs that will be up on YouTube that were placed there between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, filmed from here on location, Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, Herod's Palace, uh, and uh, the Garden Tomb, with teachings by Jürgen Bueller, our president, uh, Barry Dennison, one of our vice presidents, and we have also some special guests on there. So please be looking for that on our Facebook page. There'll be more information on it. And we want to thank you. Please share this video. It'll be up on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, this webinar, share it with others, help them understand the Israeli election. And thank you again to our guests. God bless you, everyone.